0: Hey there, Bulldogs, and welcome to this week's episode of Beyond the Tassel. This is your host, Carla Quintanilla. I am a marketing major at the Sales Class of 2021, and I am so delighted to be hosting this podcast with the purpose of reconnecting with our alumni and informing current students like you about the endless possibilities beyond college. Prepare to be inspired through the incredible stories of our alumni and learn valuable insights from their career journey. We are here to help. You spark your career curiosity and encourage you to begin exploring your future possibilities. Now, without further ado, let's get started with this week's guest. We are so thrilled to have this wonderful woman and professional, Mary Pratt Hannigan, in our podcast today. To tell you a little bit about Mary, she is a global technology, media, and telecommunications executive. With a demonstrated history in working and leading 24 7 business and broadcast operations in a rapidly evolving technology landscape. Having worked her entire career for world renowned global media brands, Mary shows us her skill set, vendor relationships, working with strategic technology evaluation and implementation, and of course, reimagining new organizational plans, and business workflows. These are just one of the many things that we talk about in the podcast today. Mary will be telling us a little bit about how she began this journey in becoming this respectable executive. She talks about what the transition was between companies that she's worked for, the the value in certain experiences that she's had and how that led her into the jobs that she had as well. She also will talk to us about being a woman in this industry. And of course, she gives us some wonderful advice to college students right now and things that we should think about when we explore our careers. I present to you Mary Pratt-Hannigan, and thank you for tuning in to today's episode. We have a very special guest. We have Mary Pratt-Hennigan. How are you, Mary? Thank you for being here. Good.
1: How are you? Very nice to see you. Very
0: nice to see you. Well, Mary, um, first of all, we always like to start out with saying thank you uh, for dedicating your time here as an alumni and being able to share your story with us. This is very valuable. And we started this for current students um, and other people in the DeSales community to listen to what you as an alumni are doing beyond graduation. That's why we call the um, the show Beyond the Tassel. So, uh, but before that, before we talk about what happened after after college, I would love to start out talking to you, uh, Mary, about your experience De Sales. Now, you're a class of 1990, 1988, and you graduated uh, with a degree in communications and and the foreign language, Spanish, correct?
1: Right, that's and correct. That,
0: and, and correct me if I'm wrong, it's um, communications or journalism that you graduated with.
1: Well, it's interesting. In those days, um, it was actually Allentown College of St. Francis De Sales, right. which feels so long ago now. But um They didn't have such a degree then. In those days, the degree was just called English slash communications. And none of the kind of core curriculum or infrastructure that exists today um, was in place then. So it was largely a more traditional English major, literally with two journalism classes.
0: Interesting. So I and I, I mean I'm not a communications major, but um, I believe it's probably developed in, in a in a way that a student that goes to college now will come out with different with different courses perhaps or a different little bit of direction than absolutely
1: who, a much different curriculum today
0: yeah, absolutely well my question then is why what made you then pick pick your major um, when you when you started your college did you have any sort of vision or anything when you started college then
1: i did and and it's actually interesting because again in those days um, information was not as readily available as it is today and i was working really closely with my guidance counselor at school as well as my drama coach And so I um, had been on a journey where I had 12 years of Catholic education and I was interested in continuing and having my college be a Catholic education experience as well. So we were researching what small Catholic colleges that were on the East Coast might have degrees or programs in the areas that I was interested in. Mm -hmm. So at that time, I knew very strongly that I wanted to have a career in news or broadcasting, but I also very much uh, enjoyed theater and dance. Okay. So Allentown College of St. Francis de Sales um, was one of very few schools at the time that had a degree in all three, English communications, dance, and theater. So. My drama coach at the time in high school was very familiar with the theater at DeSales Uh and I auditioned, was accepted into the theater department and subsequently chose to go to DeSales. Uh I spent the first semester as a theater major Uh and then um, the rigors of the theater program were very interesting. Um, I was a lucky freshman. I had a role in a show that fall. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is pretty intense. And I decided that I was gonna major in the English communications piece. Mm -hmm. So that I could have a more normal life. Um, (laughs) Staying on campus for Thanksgiving, also being on the costume team um, was a bit daunting. So um, all to think that I wanted a normal life, which as as we're talking, you'll find out um, my life ended up being not normal and very 24 (laughs) by seven. So little did I know.
0: Yes, exactly. Oh my gosh. Well, what a story. I mean, I I know a few people who have that pat kind of trajectory where they say they start out as, as theater majors, and then they switch out to something else. And you're just another example that it's totally okay to be switching paths, even when you start college. You do not have to stay with the same major if you don't feel like it's going to work out for you in the future, which again, it's, I think everything is working out for us at all times. So the fact that you said, you know, now that you look back at, at your, at your journey, you know, you might've not had envisioned what what would be uh, coming to you, but it certainly, you know, worked out in the best interest for you. Um,
1: Absolutely.
0: Yeah. So with that said, what would you say then, um, looking back at college and your journey, what would you say is, but one of the most important parts about pursuing an education, or just something that you really found valuable, and sometimes even look back at, and, and um, yeah, something that you thought that you think is most important about about college that maybe all students can, you know, make sure we are taking advantage of.
1: I would say um, to be kind of grounded in that notion that you're building a strong foundation mm-hmm. that's going to support you for the rest of your life in the sense that as we know, life is full of you know up and down, good and bad, smooth and rough kind of challenges. And so I think that's where I was heading in the moment, um, taking a strong family background, transitioning into college and use that as an opportunity to kind of surround yourself and make new friends and explore your faith and kind of learn to trust and build on your judgment. And those schools will transition to no matter what you do personally and professionally.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's self-awareness, you know. Of, right. Um, and so what do you, so do you have a description of like what type of attitude maybe you can suggest that students adopt maybe each day or maybe each week or maybe when they're going through a struggle or a very hard semester? Do you have anything to say?
1: I've been thinking about that a lot these past few months, especially with the state of the world, and I would say that it's so important for everyone, and especially at that stage of your kind of development, to keep a sense of curiosity, and don't be afraid to ask questions, um, explore things that you like keep that kind of sense of um, curiosity from when you were a child. Somewhere along the line, we kind of feel like it's it's bad to make a mistake or to ask questions and to just kind of encourage that curiosity and that eagerness and know that it's safe and just trust your intuition to guide you and just be patient. Don't try to rush it and let it come to you.
0: Right. Wow, that's very... I mean, I I'm personally just having uh, a moment because I think that the reason why this this podcast got started is for the interest and curiosity to see what our alumni are doing and to see that now we are producing a lot of content and getting connected with all of you. Um, It all started from that idea from us being like, what can we do aside from just doing our homework? Uh, that'll, that'll benefit us and see, you know, in gaining some knowledge uh, from you. So that's wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. And Sure. Um, with
1: that- I'm trying to practice it myself every single day. <laughs> it's,
0: not, it's not easy when we get caught up sometimes. In, in
1: our- Absolutely. So. And life gets complicated. So that's why I would say be willing to do it now and kind of develop those muscles so that they stay with you as you continue on.
0: Sure. That's powerful. Um, okay. So speaking of, of things that we can develop, what are some skills you'd say um, in college are most um, important to develop because they'll, they'll stick with us after college?
1: Sure. Um, this is going to sound um, a little boring, <laughs> but I stand behind it every single day. And I always say you must, must, must have strong written and oral communication skills. And I feel that over time, that just becomes more and more important. And no matter what career you choose, that foundation will allow you to be um, successful both personally and professionally. And along with that, a part of it is being a good listener Mm -hmm. So while you're developing your listening skills, you can learn to respond and acknowledge and ask intelligent questions, and sometimes you just be a witness and listen to what people have to say.
0: Yeah, and with that, so I I absolutely, and I think we hear this a lot um, uh, as students, that communication skills, those written skills. Um, our transferable skills, right? But I would love to know, Mary, what does that mean? What does that um, good communication mean to you, as as somebody who has worked in media with other people in corporate America? What does that mean? Is it the way you use uh, your tone of voice, the way you use your voice in a meeting, the way you communicate with your coworkers? Can you give an example or perhaps a story where you? where you realize that's a good way to communicate because we got something done efficiently, but also in a very um, safe safe manager and friendly way um, with our coworkers.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would say that is such an important part of what led me to be where I am today. So one of the stories that I often share is I do a lot of guest lecturing and guest teaching um, at colleges, universities, on industry panels. So when people introduce me and they would say my title, SVP of Network and Technical Operations, you know, here she is. And so I'll say to people, so what do you think I majored in in college? Everybody raises their hand. IT engineering, technology. And I'll go, nope, I was an English major. And everybody just goes, oh my gosh, what? (laughs) And the reason I use that example is everything I learned, I learned on the job. So to your point, in my time at DeSales, those kind of technical skills and classes and resources weren't available. So I learned to be a good listener. I learned to understand words and languages and repeat things back to people. So what that allowed me to do through my career, obviously I started as a writer, researcher, and a journalist and progressed on because I came to be what I call the interpreter and basically the glue between the various teams. So I ended up leading everything from production, to IT, to technology, to satellite communications. And that was all through my ability to understand what we needed as a group, as a team, as a company to be successful. I didn't learn it in a classroom. I didn't learn it from a textbook. I learned it hands-on working with people, asking questions, restating, sharing. So that's kind of my working living day-to-day example. Right. Of how it would apply across teams and majors, personally, professionally, whichever.
0: Yeah, I think adapting to that dynamic of, of of that ecosystem you're immersing yourself to once you get into that job because it's different for every person, for every student wherever they go. It's a different company, it's a different department, and that requires you to be one well, curious about what they need, it needs to be done, but also what type of adaptation um, adaptation you need in terms of communication and dynamic
1: absolutely
0: yeah awesome so I would love to move on and talk to you about post-graduation I mean let's go back into into the the, the working and job seeking after right after graduation so we know that you first worked at, for PBS at their um, affiliate WETA Uh, as a production assistant so you started as an assistant and and my question is how did you end up in media when it came from um being in in English and journalism and communications and to then immersing yourself in in media Um, did you have that you said you mentioned you were thinking about doing all of that since you started college but how did you actually find the job and how did
1: you actually yes So again, you know, flashback to technology and what it looked like in those days, Um, I was fortunate in that I finished my core curriculum, my requirements and everything else um, for a double major in three and a half years. So uh, that fall of my junior year, I'm sorry, that fall of my senior year, I was diligently looking for an internship. Opportunity, which again, in those days, it's not like you're calling it up online, you know, reaching out, sending. I literally was sitting in the equivalent of the career center with three ring binders looking through newsletters, articles, postings that had been sent to the university. So I applied for an internship position at the McNeil Lair News Hour and was fortunate enough to have been selected and left in December of that year to spend my final semester um, outside of Washington, DC, working at the Manila Lair news Hour as a news desk and research assistant. So I was fully immersed. And ironically, I didn't even get to wait until January. I started right before Christmas. So literally, my immersion into 24 by 7, media, the news never stops. And it was amazing. And I enjoyed my few months there. And towards the end of my time there, there were a couple of positions open because the McNeil NewsHour is housed within the PBS family there and that particular affiliate. So one of the jobs that was open was as an executive assistant for Judy Woodruff, who is still at the NewsHour today. Lovely person, enjoyed my time with her. And then there was the position that I ultimately took as a production assistant for a documentary film series called Smithsonian World. So I had a very insightful conversation with Judy where she just said to me, don't take this job. I love you. You've been amazing. It was great to work with you. She's like, I don't want you to get trapped here. If this isn't where you're meant to be, take the opportunity, go make documentary films. You can always come back to news. Later, if that's what you decide you want to do. So very wise, and I'm always grateful for her for sharing that with me. And that's exactly what I did. I went to work on Smithsonian World as a production assistant, and it was there that I got all the hands on training and skills that I wouldn't have gotten in college. I did everything from being a researcher writer, to being an assistant sound editor, to being an assistant film editor, to doing production management. So it was my two years there that set the groundwork and the stage for me to then go on and join Discovery, which at the time was, you know, in its infancy, and I was one of the first 200 employees hired. Now, to think of Discovery as a global communications powerhouse media company. So again, taking some guidance, taking some advice, holding out for what I really wanted, and then transitioning from documentary films over to Discovery.
0: Yeah, wow. I mean, what a, what a great story to say that you had one of your mentors who you could have, like you could have just stayed with them and they gave you the perfect and right timing advice to be able to then move on to those uh, projects that made you grow so much in your career. Um,
1: Absolutely.
0: Yeah, that's, that's it's it's part of networking sometimes and building a relationship with people in your job and that you look up to because sometimes they have really good things to say. um,
1: Absolutely.
0: So now that you've now had experience, over 30 years of experience working in media, can you walk us through the different roles you've had in your career? Maybe a brief description. Maybe you don't have to mention all of them, but uh, maybe the ones that that have made you grow the most and maybe uh, the ones that you stayed the longest in.
1: Sure. So after I left Smithsonian World, I went to Discovery and I've had this kind of, I'll say, um, fortune throughout my career of kind of being in the right place at the right time. And I was a part of a new team that was being built and formed at Discovery. And we were the interactive new technology team. So way back then, that looked really different than it does today. And at that time, it was things like CD-ROM and interactive laser disks and um, software. Uh, products for schools, you know, so in addition to the entertainment side, there was the education side. So again, I used that as kind of a learning and training ground, and then moved on to other projects at Discovery on the new media side, Mm -hmm. which involved launching a number of new channels at Discovery, including ones that have survived today, like Animal Planet. So way back in the day, Animal Planet was in its infancy, and I was a part of the technology team that launched that. So we launched seven different digital networks at that time frame, one of which included a joint venture partnership that was underway with the BBC. And that channel was to become BBC America. So at that moment, I left Discovery and transitioned over to become an employee of the BBC. And I was one of only seven people, the only American, along with six Brits, to launch BBC America in the US. So again, I found myself in kind of entrepreneurial startup mode, um, doing everything from setting up the new office space, putting all the IT systems in place. And I literally did everything from start to finish there and was responsible for office, administration, HR, IT, post-production, supporting marketing and branding, all of our network infrastructure, delivering content out, origination, master control, uplink, live events, and news. So pretty much everything I had touched up until that moment in my career came full circle. And there I was having to draw on all those skills, all those previous resources to build a team and get the channel launched. So that's where I spent the bulk of my career. I'm just coming off of 22 years at BBC America. And I wore, you know, different um, roles and titles while I was there. Um, And it it kind of went through its own transformation and iteration where when it originally launched, it was part of a joint venture with discovery. Mm -hmm. Then it became fully owned and operated again by the BBC. Mm -hmm. And then for the last five years, we were jointly owned by AMC networks. So I had the ability of being a joint venture, being wholly owned and being, um, an acquisition. So all very valuable transitional business skills, changing of processes, changing of bosses, changing of teams, of locations, yep. whatnot.
0: What is, so my, I, that's so, I've never heard about that. Like, I mean, of course we've heard about it, but what it from a perspective of being an employee or somebody, an executive in, in that transition of being wholly owned or a, a joint venture, what does that look like in your, um, in your, maybe on your, in your offer letters or in your, uh, way to report to somebody else? Is it a, a small transition? Is it a, is it something that, uh, interferes with the projects you're doing day to day at all?
1: Yeah, it is a wildly disruptive okay. experience. I'm going to be perfectly honest <laughs> because I, I want your audience to understand, um, okay. the world of joint ventures mergers acquisitions um, are very stressful for everyone involved and this is where you know you really have to dig deep and draw in some of those things that I mentioned earlier about being patient mm-hmm. trusting your intuition listening to yourself um, you know being uh, aware of the environment around you yeah. because it does and what ends up happening is um, It's a time of dramatic change and, disturbing in the sense that you know people have worked really hard to build lots of things and to your point when you start combining those things some things survive some things don't survive some things are changed new things are built so I would say it's a very challenging stressful time um, very valuable lots to learn but fasten your seat belts and be ready
0: Yeah, I think that it that thank you for being honest and explaining that because I personally cannot imagine like what it would feel like because we don't think about about those things when, when we do sign on uh, an offer and and start the job what's going to happen in those outside forces that you can't control.
1: Um, Right, and I always tell people. To remember, don't take it personally. It is so not a reflection on you. It's a part of you know the bigger company, the goals, the missions, the expectation, and that you are an important and valuable contributor. And so, it's not a reflection on you necessarily or your capabilities. It's on what needs to be done to achieve those business objectives. It can feel very personal. Believe me, it can feel very very personal.
0: Well, I'm sure we'll be ready by those, you know, when the time comes to be taking in that. Um, So, well, I would love to transition to talk to you about. um, I know we mentioned when we talked the idea of being um, a brand's guardian, and I know. It's um, as you have on your bio. You're 22 years as the BBC's brand guardian, operational brand guardian. Can you explain to us what that term means? Um, what yes. Are some responsibilities that uh, that you had with BBC America that um, that you had to uphold for that title.
1: Yes, I have been really privileged and blessed to have been working with world-renowned media brands my entire career. So from Mm -hmm. PBS to Discovery to the BBC. And when I joined the BBC, um, I suddenly learned, to your point, Um, the importance of upholding and protecting the reputation and the brand associated with the BBC. So you can imagine as a world-class news gathering organization, um, there's a lot that goes into that. And the BBC is actually a quasi-government organization as well, Um, roughly 80% public service and about 20% commercial. So I was working on the side that was commercial, mm-hmm. making money out in the world to put back into the public service entity so that the BBC could continue providing the amazing you know, um, films and events and news that it does today. Wow. So along with that, as a brand guardian, there were lots of editorial and technical guidelines and protocols that needed to be followed at all times. So lots of training, um, lots of updates, lots of documentation. And for me personally, that meant that anything that happened with our particular channel and brand in the US, BBC America, it was under my team and my responsibility to make sure that everything that we delivered was consistent and in compliance with those brands. Okay, okay.
0: Wow, and that's, I mean, Sometimes it feels like it's, um, a lot of what, I mean, you, you have a big title and all that stuff, but what do you say when you are in that hands-on day to day, does it feel any different than being, than the other roles you've had, um, in terms of stress levels or even just, um, responsibility and tasks you've got to do by the end of the month?
1: Yeah, I would say, um... I I love, love, loved every time of uh, every minute of all my time with BBC America. And I would do it again in a heartbeat. But it was um, a very stressful, high level, high energy job. And it was 24 by 7, 365 days a year. And especially delivering the news component as well. Um, And it meant that I literally was at the end of the phone at every moment. And I can pretty much tell you throughout those years where I was for certain life-changing, life-altering kind of global events because I was the person getting the phone call and and needing to react. And so I'll I'll give you an example. One of the things that's really important is the coverage and the relationship um, of the royal family. So Mm -hmm. I was the designee in the U.S., there's basically a very strict procedure protocol that anytime anything happens with the royal family, we spring into reaction and need to respond appropriately. So you can imagine there have been many times, you know, throughout those 22 years, births, deaths, marriages, sickness, whatever, that I would have to be available. And then that also applied to world events be they good or bad, it could be tragedies like 9-11, wars, bombings, or it could be very beautiful, wonderful things. So yeah, it did carry a lot of, in addition to your personal life, your family, and anything else you might be doing, juggling that and having the energy and the reserves and the resources to respond to that.
0: Right. Um, Okay, may I ask you, how old you were when you began um this this role and if if, if it was something i'm just thinking of logistically like mature it's a good question i would have been in my early 30s okay. yeah.
1: yeah i i would have just barely like maybe 30 or 31
0: wow wow that's yeah cool. um all right well people always talk about and as we speak about this in your big roles and in your in BBC America but people always talk about climbing that corporate ladder um and you know you've explained to uh, to us a little bit about the roles and everything but did you have any roles that you were offered um and then that that you that were offered to you or did you have to seek the roles um to be able to move up or to be able to um expand uh kind of what you were doing if that makes any sense talk to us about what that looks like for you and maybe what that looks like in in places like bbc america and the media
1: yeah i i would say a combination of both okay. um i was always open and receptive and welcome to new opportunities, new responsibilities. And and it is interesting um, in thinking about your question about how old was I and and when did I take that on? um, I always like to think that I've always been an old soul. (laughs) So, um, So even in college, I was kind of like the house mother So somehow, some way, that seems to be uh, my skill set and how I'm wired. So I always say it's probably good I didn't think about the weight of the responsibility then because it might have been intimidating or scary. Mm -hmm. And I would say that that's exactly how I um, transitioned between positions and careers. So as I, I was welcoming, you know, new roles, new responsibilities, that often led to opportunities for either internal growth. Or growth with a related company or a related vendor that we were doing business with. So, in the case of um, being at McNeil Air, going to WETA PBS.
0: Yeah, being at
1: Discovery, going to the BBC and BBC America. And so there were a few times that I I was offered a role or an opportunity for like an immediate promotion. Like I I can think of an example where um, at the moment I had been at the director level and I was offered an opportunity um, to be promoted to VP and move to kind of like a third party outside organization. And I thought about it, and it would have been wonderful, and some of the people I worked with took that opportunity, but it didn't feel right to me in that moment. Mm -hmm. And again, I would go back to what I said. Sometimes it's really hard and challenging to trust your gut and to trust your um, instincts and your intuition, but I was like, you know... There'll be another opportunity, and I think it's going to be more closely aligned to what I wanted. And the good news about that is that's when the BBC America opportunity came on, like literally within three months. So I was so relieved and so grateful that I stayed patient. I didn't jump ship. I waited, and I was right where I was intending and wanted to be.
0: Wow. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Knowing that, knowing yourself is very key, I think. Uh, being aware, which can seem a little scary when you have opportunities like that. Uh, Absolutely. Or whether you stay. Um, awesome. One thing I want to ask you is, I see that you're part of the Women in Cable and Telecommunications Organization. Um, can you tell us about what that national organization is about? I would love to talk to you a little bit about being a woman in this business and how what that looks like.
1: Yes, absolutely. And um, that organization is near and dear to my heart. I love that organization. And I give them a lot of time and energy. So um, the organization itself has been around, we just celebrated the 40th anniversary last year. Mm -hmm. And I myself have been a member for 28 years. So almost my entire career. So, yeah. from the time I joined Discovery, I joined that organization, which was pretty young at the time, you know. And it's basically, while it started as being based in the US only, it has now glo- grown to a global organization. We have chapters in Europe, the UK, Latin America. And what it is, it offers um, many educational programs, services, leadership development programs, um, they have a very important growth and development called the Betsy Mengus Institute, and basically it helps kind of sh- shepherd and grow and develop people working in the industry throughout their careers, and I've been lucky. I've been on the Washington, D.C., Baltimore chapter board of directors for five years, And we do a number of events every year, uh, one of which is very important and relevant to me called Tech It Out, because, again, it's focusing on opportunities for women in technology, in the media, uh, relevant and timely topics. And we uh, just had the event last week. And so while I've been a part of that event for a number of years, uh, planning, strategy, um, operations, logistics, um, this year I was the virtual host. So that was a whole new experience for us because we normally do that event in person. So I recommend it highly for people interested in careers in the media because they offer wonderful mentoring opportunities. Um, I'm always a mentor for people. They have a job board, uh, lots and lots of career development from entry level to advanced. So I would definitely um, recommend people take a look at that.
0: How did this come about when you first joined? I'm curious.
1: Yeah, it, it was um, kind of promoted and publicized throughout the industry okay. as a tool for growth and development. And I was at Discovery at the time. And um, Discovery has always been an active participant. All the major media organizations, whether they're on the programming side, the infrastructure side, like a Comcast. um they have always played a role and been involved, and so it was recommended and suggested because they had a number of good programs. And so, as growing leaders and managers within the company, um, lots of companies encourage and involve their employees, and even pay for their memberships Excellent.
0: as well. Wow, that's awesome to be in that, involved in something like that for that for also for your whole career. I bet. And now, of course, you're heavily involved now. And, of course, you have enough of a testimony to talk about to people who are recently joining.
1: Absolutely. (laughs) Yes. And we do all sorts of, um, we do college um, programs. Um, I'm a mentor for an existing program now. We offer discounted rates for recent graduates. So it's definitely a good learning ground. Absolutely.
0: Of course. Well, we'll have to share uh, those insights um, if anyone listening is interested in joining. Absolutely. Awesome. So another thing I would like to ask you, Mary, about being a woman in in this industry is, is there actually a small percentage of working women in the departments that you were working in? And if so, how did that impact maybe your ability to develop or maybe the workplace dynamic dealing with majority being male?
1: Yes, uh, you are absolutely spot on. There are very few women um, in the media, technology, engineering community, and it has definitely improved and gotten better in, I'll say generously, the last decade. Um, But for the long time, I was the only female in the room, um, since there were so many females involved in that side of technology. And I mean, many, many meetings and especially in the joint ventures and the mergers, the acquisitions, I would often be one of 10 or 15 people in the room and at the table and be the only female. So it was an interesting dynamic. And I will say that what it allowed for me personally was, um, I used it to my advantage to be visible and to share the message with entry-level employees, you know, recent grads that there are many, many opportunities like this out there. And that it's just kind of making yourself aware, uh, informed and then being visible. So that's why I personally took on the role of mentoring, guest teaching, Lecturing because it was an interesting combination of, to your point, and this whole podcast. If people don't know that the opportunities exist, they'll never go on to fill those roles. Right. Right. So I kind of became like a spokesperson for (laughs) what is available.
0: Yeah, that's so great, especially for women. And they, oh, and I, and I know, I don't know if you've heard this, but sometimes there is a high percentage of women who will look at a job and not apply because they don't think they're qualified, whereas the male will apply anyways, the man will apply anyways. Um, and I think- that, Absolutely. I don't know if it's uh, uh, in our genes or something, but I think it's good for us to be encouraged to to seek those opportunities, those big roles. Um,
1: Absolutely, yes. And, and I am fortunate in that I have a wonderful network of supportive people both male and female, who saw the importance and the value in that. And, and we're feeling it right now, especially with everything that's going on in the world, is some of our senior level women are stepping back to take more active roles in their home life and in their personal life. Because to your point, that, that sense or that um, calling that they're the primary caregiver, I have kids at home that need to be homeschooled. I have elderly parents that have special needs and attention. So we're addressing that. And that is a topic that actually came up in our conference last week. So finding ways for women to be able to balance that, to your point.
0: Right. Excellent. That's a good conversation to have, um, for sure. Yeah. To reevaluate in your career as a woman. Okay, so Mary, I want want to make sure we talk about what you're doing today. Uh, We've talked, we spent an awful lot of time talking about your past uh, and your roles and what you've learned, but um, can you tell us about what, so we know you're now uh, consulting um, and and just to read where you are now is you are a consulting director um, and you recently joined a boutique consulting firm called... EMIS partners. So tell us about what what um what happened after you retired and what made you um want to be start your own consulting.
1: Sure, absolutely. Um so it's interesting and um I love when people use the word retired because I wish I felt retired. <laughs> <laughs> I'm probably busier than most people. Um and it's probably a bit of an overpromise. I I would call it more of um a reset or a change or a transition in that um it was the perfect time for me back in the spring. Um, like we talked about before, change, transition, what's happening in the world, what's happening in the workplace. Um, Right before COVID, um, I would say probably six to nine months prior, as a part of an ongoing um, corporate restructure and reorg, um, we were making some changes to operationally realign. And as a part of that, myself and my Maryland-based team were gonna be part of the restructure and would ultimately be laid off. Mm -hmm. So we had the bonus of a long runway, a long lead time to transition and make it very smooth and effective. So um, for the 22 years, I I was in a um, split virtual environment long before it was popular to do so. Um, Half of my team was based in Maryland, suburban Maryland, outside of Washington, D.C., where I'm located now. And the other half of my team was always based in New York City. So what was happening is we were combining all of the operations into the New York facility. So as a part of that, it gave me the opportunity to evaluate and step back And I just said, you know what, it's time to take a deep breath and regroup. Um, I was racing really hard to the finish line to make it smooth. Coincidentally, it happened just as COVID was happening. So it felt very strange to me to be shipping my laptop back just as the British Prime Minister was in the hospital with COVID, Harry and Meghan were leaving the royal family and going to Canada, you know, so it was an interesting time. And I just thought, you know what, it is what it is. You know, everything is always changing and moving around us. I'm meant to take a pause. So that's exactly what I did. And I had many things lined up that I thought I was going to be doing in April, May and June, Uh but the world essentially shut down for COVID. So travel (laughs) became an impossibility. So to your point, I actually became very useful and valuable as a consultant because um, there were lots of people in the media and technology space that still have projects that they need to deliver yet might not have the on-site tools, resources, staffing to be able to do that. So what I'm finding for me is that I, I'm kind of going back to where I started in the documentary film world, in the sense that in the consulting world, I can work on a project from beginning to end, but it has a discrete beginning and a discrete <laughs> end, as opposed to the 24 by 7, 365 days a year. So, what that is allowing me is I can do a deep dive be very involved in a project, work with some amazing, intelligent, fun people, great topics, subject matter, but then I can walk away. And so when I walk away, that's allowing me the personal time and flexibility to do lots of reading, lots of writing, work on some personal creative projects, take a few um, classes that I'm interested in for kind of my next phase and chapter. And I'm finding that it's been really, really good for me. And that's why I was saying to you earlier, I'm trying to take my own advice (laughs) and I'm trying to be very curious and very eager and very open as I explore exactly what I want to do these next however many years that I'm here. And hoping that that is a real balance between work, Personal life, personal fulfillment, and enrichment, and so far, so good. I'm really enjoying it, and, and really finding that it works well for me.
0: That's awesome, and that's so great to hear. Um, to see so to see people who have gone through the whole journey, and I mean, for us, we're just getting started. So that sounds like milestones away, but to to hear that that's so possible to live a, a well balanced, to come out and say, you know, I've done it. And I've, and I've remained curious and I've done my due diligence in an, in an organization and imp- impacted people and worked with people. Um, and now it's time for me to focus a little bit on me and what I want to do.
1: Very challenging, you know, and especially if you're very others focused, you know, yeah. and, and we're often, you know, made to feel that it's, um, like a guilty pleasure to take time for yourself. And, and it really isn't, you know? And I'm really trying to emphasize and teach to the people that I'm around that it's very important to take care of ourselves, practice self-care, fill our own cup so that we're able to be supportive and help others.
0: Right, right. Once you fill your own cup, everything else is, is a, a surplus in our lives.
1: <laughs> absolutely, <laughs> well- absolutely.
0: Thank you so much for just sharing everything. And I would love to wrap up by saying um, and asking you, uh, is there, we, we, our signature questions are along the lines of what, what is something that you would want to tell yourself if you were looking at yourself in college um, and telling something to Mary in those days? Do you have anything that you would want to tell her?
1: Yes, very relevant and timely. And I ask myself that every day. (laughs) So um, I would say that it's very important um, to kind of hone this skill in college and carry it with you for life, but to learn to find stability in the change. That sounds like a weird way to say it, but it's important to recognize that the one constant is change and everything around us is always changing so whether it's you know changing companies changing bosses you know changing in your personal life moving from city to city restructuring an organization um everything is filled with change and transition and if we can learn to be okay with that and learn to live in the flow of that change and not resist it, I think that would be so powerful. So to kind of learn um, at a college student age that we're always going to be growing and moving and changing and that that's okay. It's really okay. And while that can feel unsettling and destabilizing, Mm -hmm. some amazing, beautiful, powerful things have happened in my life as a result of that. And I wouldn't have not wanted to have them happen. So I would say if you can learn to do that, it will make the ride, even though it can be bumpy, so much more fulfilling.
0: Oh my gosh, well, thank you for sharing that. The first thing that comes to mind to me is having feeling safe in the unknown.
1: Um, Absolutely. The
0: students who are, we don't know, we don't know what's out there for us, but yeah, it's that change and finding our ground in that um, to find out, I always say, our little corner of the sky. Um,
1: Absolutely. And I would say, look within because it's there. And just always know that you can go to that place at any time and ground and reboot And I'm so excited that you guys are at such a wonderful place to build that foundation.
0: Well, thank you so much, Mary. It's been such a pleasure talking to you. You And are- you as well. <laughs> thank you. We are looking forward to see the way you develop and, and in what you're doing right now. If, if anybody listening right now would like to get in touch with you or maybe know a little bit more about you, where can we find you?
1: Absolutely. I would say the easiest way is to reach out to me via email or via LinkedIn. LinkedIn. So you can definitely see me on LinkedIn and that email is there. And if it's easier for them to reach you and then you forward them on to me, that's great. But definitely, I definitely stay updated on LinkedIn, and I would happily email, talk with whoever, answer any questions, because I am all about mentoring and growing and giving back.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Mary. We look forward to seeing and and hearing more from you. Thank you. And And good
1: luck to you. I will be curious to hear.
0: Awesome, awesome. Well, that wraps up our episode, everybody. We are um, staying in touch with Mary to see all the wonderful things that she would do. And I hope to uh, see you on the next episode. Thank you once again for tuning in to today's episode of Beyond the Tassel. It is our pride to present the success stories of our DeSales alumni via a podcast. If you are a DeSales alumni and would like to become a TSU mentor, you can contact melanie.valone at desales.edu. And if you are currently a DeSales student and would like to connect with an alumni in your field, you can contact kathy.kraus at deSales.edu. Until next time, Bulldogs.